0: Okay. On another episode of Soothing Semantics, I am your host, Rafi Pinsky. Make sure to subscribe, smash the like button, leave your comments. And of course, for all of your real estate needs, make sure to check out Rafi, the realtor on Instagram. Sign up to my weekly newsletter with a link in bio. This way you can stay up to date with everything real estate related in South Florida and make sure to follow Danny Horowitz on Instagram. He is a realtor as well in Miami. So we hope that whoever you choose, whether that's both of us, one of us, we would all, we would both, we both would love to do business with you. Today on the show, I have Danny Horowitz, a fellow Hebe, a real estate agent, a real estate, a res- residential real estate agent. I'm, I'm sure maybe he does some commercial too. Uh, but we have met not long ago. We just recently, uh, Bumped into each other at Ricky Carruth's real estate event. If you don't know who Ricky Carruth is, get to know him. Without further ado, Danny Horowitz, thank you for coming.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: My pleasure, man. My pleasure. So a couple of things wanted to go into today. First of all, uh, always nice to see that you are, of, of course, very in support of Israel. So that obviously, I mean, I would assume I wouldn't assume otherwise. So we're not going to go into the war much, but it's been a crazy ride. And I hope everybody in Israel is safe. I hope we win the war very soon, whatever that will mean. But uh, as far as real estate goes, what do you think is going to be the outcome with the NAR lawsuit?
1: So with the lawsuit, um, I've been hearing a lot of noise from so many different avenues. Um, To be honest with you, I... You know, when you really dig down to the deep of it, it's real estate has been working for decades in the same way that it's working today. Um, We there's always two sides. There's somebody that represents the seller, somebody that represents the buyer. And we have very similar tasks between the two of us. Typically, it's a meeting of the minds. We have to come together. We have to work with each other to be able to represent our clients. And it's unfortunate that when I saw this lawsuit, it's the plaintiff is basically stating, and they have, were asked multiple questions when they were on uh, the stand and Ricky Caruth actually discussed this, where you know they asked him, were you aware of the commission that you had to pay prior to you selling your home? And he said, th- this person said, yes. They asked this plaintiff as well, were you okay with the realtor that was representing you? They also said yes. Did you know how much commission you were going to have to give when you signed that listing agreement? And they said yes. So it's, it's mind boggling to me when you say yes to all of these questions, but then you want to go and sue for damages for things that you already agreed to. It doesn't make sense. Um, there's a lot of people out there that think that real estate agents are glorified door openers, that we don't work, that we are overpaid, that we don't do anything. I've been on both sides of the coin. I have been a listing agent and I have been an agent that represents buyers. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that they're both very challenging tasks because representing a seller, it's a little bit different. Still requires a lot of work, but when you're with a buyer, it's even harder because mm-hmm. I have to drive you places. I have to show you multiple properties. I have to engage with you in a little bit of a different way. And I have to connect you with my team. And it's it's, it's not just one thing, it's a variety of variables that are involved. And for no, for this lawsuit to basically say that me representing the buyer, I don't deserve to get paid. That That's, there's no reason for that. And both sides should be getting paid. And whether you think 3% is fair or not, it's been the market, you know, standard per se. It's not a standard because it's negotiable, right? Mm. Technically, commissions are negotiable. I've had a lot of sellers tell me, Daniel, you know, how much is commission? I say, listen, standard, technically, what everybody charges is six percent. Some states are different, but in Florida, it's six, especially Miami Dade County and Broward. Now, you want to offer five, that's fine. But I, want, I also, what I do is I let my clients know, hey, by the way, if you offer to the buyer's agent less than 3%, you lose a lot of visibility in the market compared to somebody that's offering 3%. So if you offer two and a half or even two, why would I as a real estate agent representing a buyer go after a property that's gonna pay me 2% to a property that's paying me three or two and a half? And the way that I see that is that the seller is probably going to be a bit complicated. You're already trying to negotiate my commission before we're even under contract. I mean, or before anything happens, how is that going to play along when we are under contract and we have to go through inspections, appraisals, negotiations, that's, it, it sends a red flag to me as an agent. And I, in turn, give that information to my client as a buyer you know, not that the buyer needs to know what the commission is. If they ask, I tell them, but they've never like, hey, Daniel, how much do you get paid? They don't ask. They're right. just happy. They don't have to pay me. Right. And it's always been the seller pays, the seller selling the property and the seller pays both sides. Um, so offering less than the 3% could put you in jeopardy to sell your property. It could give you, it might not give you the same, like I said, visibility to be able to sell it. Um, but there's a lot of properties out there that are sold for two and a half. There's properties that are sold for two. Investors notoriously sell for less because they want to maximize their profit, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. So when you see a lot of investor properties, they're offering two percent, or they offer three to the to the buyer's agent, but they're only giving their listing agent one or one and a half. Right. You don't see that side, right? That's not on the MLS. Um, and the MLS is a foundation. That we've had for a very long time that benefits definitely the seller it gives you maximum exposure that zillow cannot give you that realtor.com that none of these third-party sites are giving you so there's a reason for it and it gives the buyer when you're working with a realtor a lot of access that you typically wouldn't have if you look on your own there's it's also very uh categorized And there's a lot of information on there. It's very accurate. It's a legal binding page where the information has to be accurate. You can actually report agents on the MLS. They can have warnings. They can actually eventually lose their license if they don't abide by the rules. So, you know, these things are in place for a reason and it's been working. And for some reason now somebody decided, you know what, I don't like how this is going and they were upset. And, you know, this isn't over. Um, the lawsuit, just because, you know, they're, they're, they're siding with one side, this is going to get appealed and this is going to go on and on. Is it eventually going to get, you know, approved? You don't know. And even if it does, there's going to have to be a way for buyers agents to be compensated because you're not going to be able to move forward in real estate with a buyer's agent, not getting any commission.
0: Of course not. So there's a, there's a couple of things to unpack here. First of all, great points. A couple of things. People have this notion, and I think people who live in the real world understand that real, being a real estate agent is very challenging, at least in the earlier years. And I, don't, I think even for realtors who have been in the game for a very long time, who are doing incredibly well, they still come across major challenges. They've just been through so many deals, and they've, they've collected such a large Rolodex of clients, and they already have a nice cushion of money that it starts to get a lot easier. But what you don't see when you're not watching Selling Sunset, and you live in reality, you start to see, you start to understand, especially if you choose to become a realtor and do it, how hard it truly is to make sure that you have constant business coming in in the first couple of years of business. If you don't come for money, or you don't have like a large network, or whatever the case is, when you really have to start from the bottom, it's really, really, really tough. And then when you do work with clients, buyers don't get approved, sellers are unrealistic, buyers are unrealistic so many moving parts you have to bulletproof the transaction to make sure that things don't come up negotiations understanding contracts being a client's you know psychologist half the time Mm -hmm. understanding okay this is more of an extroverted person i'm going to be more bubbly this person's a lot more calm or maybe they get upset easily maybe they're more confrontational this person doesn't really tell me what what's on their mind they kind of expect me to figure it out you really become a, a, a therapist okay and all of these things rolled into one make the business a very challenging business. It really, it really does. For the people to to get the people who get to the top of the industry, have been able to muscle through those challenges, and eventually they get to the other the other end of it. They get to the, the light at the end of the tunnel. But I think people look at re- realtors, and especially when they see these TV shows, and they go, "Oh my God! All they did was open a door,
1: and they made four hundred thousand dollars." It's like, mind it's you. Not- I want you to be aware of this, Rafi. A lot of those people, those transactions sometimes don't even go through.
0: 100%.
1: What you're seeing online, what you see on million dollar listing and what you see, if you read about them, like in detail, some of them are showing the property, but then things happen and the contract could fall apart during the inspection. I'm sure. I'm sure. A lot of things can happen, but they don't show you that part. They just they just glorify it for you for, for selling purposes. For right? sure. And it really ruins the image. And what it does is re-
0: people, obviously, because people like this um, instant gratification, so they see these they see these TV shows they see these hot women they go oh I'm hot I can do that they get into the business they wear something slutty it doesn't excuse my french it doesn't it doesn't pan out for them at least unless they're willing to actually learn the business and gain experience and they're so shocked they're like wait a minute why couldn't I why couldn't I do this i thought this was so easy you know and so that's something that i think people should take into account another thing is the the Seller not paying the buyer's agent commission is a challenge for first-time homebuyers. If you're a first-time home buyer, you're not exactly loaded, you're scraping together every last few the last few dollars you have to buy this property, and now you have to come up with two to three percent of the commission. Could it it could be the difference between you buying and not buying that property? So Uh, Then another challenge is buyers and their agents don't always sign buyer broker agreements. There's a, there's a level of trust. I I usually don't, there's nothing wrong with doing it. A lot of people are very adamant on it, but now Mm -hmm. if I'm, if my, if my buyer is going to be responsible for paying me now, we're going to make sure that that's the case, which isn't the end of the world, but it was more of this relaxed kind of interaction where it's like, okay, I know you, you're a friend or you were referred to me by so-and-so, you know, we have this understanding. And at the end of the day, you're not paying me. So, you know, the seller is going to be the one paying. Um, all in all, like you said, it's going to take a long time before this finalizes most likely. The plus side, and I don't I don't necessarily see this as a plus, but what I would say is you're going to have to become a lot more listing focused, which I'm, I already am, which means that the agents who don't make calls, the agents who don't generate leads, the agents who kind of just wait for clients to come, it's probably going to become a lot more difficult for them. And thereby, many of them will probably drop out of the business, which will give the listing agents or just the agents who take the work more seriously, will have a lot more market share. And so at the end of the day, there's going to be a benefit to that regardless. So I'm not really so worried. Uh, It just is what it is. It's going to be what it's going to be. That's my take.
1: I agree. I'm on the same page as you as well. I, I have a lot of similar views as you do. Um, I've been in the industry over seven years. I have seen a lot in my seven years. You know, I'm I'm nearing 100 transactions that I've done between rentals and sales. And I have encountered a variety of things with sellers and buyers. It is a complicated industry. Some deals are easier than others. You don't know what you're going to run into. You always have to be prepared. It requires effort and work. And like you said, therapy, I, I feel like I'm a therapist more than anything else. And giving you as much information as possible, so you make the right decisions. Um, I, I'm very transparent with clients. I give them a lot of information. I bombard them and overload them with info, just because I feel like you know what. I don't want you to have to miss anything, and I don't want you to see me as somebody that was holding anything back from you. Um, I think that gives me a lot of credibility. There's a lot of there's there's thousands and thousands of realtors. How do you stand out? What right. do I do different? Right? I sell the same thing you sell. I do similar things. One of the things that I'm always, you know, really focusing on is educating myself as much as possible on everything that's coming out on the market. And I do trainings, I'm in accountability meetings, I'm listening to what other agents are doing that's working. Um, I'm always trying to get better, so that that in turn gives my clients better service, you know, so that I can, I can represent you better either as a seller or a buyer.
0: Yep, yep, makes perfect sense. No, that giving full disclosure is super important, which is why when you mentioned that the commission conversation, if I have a buyer looking for a property and the property's offering two percent, I'm showing it to that client, and that, and that's me. There are agents. And what's important though I'm is not, that yeah, I'm not saying no. I'm not saying you wouldn't do that. Sure. I'm not saying you wouldn't do that. That wasn't my point. No, my no, no. I know. No. Yeah, no, yeah. My no, no, no. my point was that there sellers need to know that there are agents out there that will not. And that's that's what's very important that they understand that. And they're like, oh well, that sucks. It's like uh, we live in the real world. Like, you know, if you are if you are adamant on giving me a four percent listing where both sides are getting two percent, just understand that there may be an agent who has a buyer, and that agent is not honest and won't show that buyer the property. And you could have had a deal done had you put it at least at two percent. It is what it is. But that's a hard conversation. I mean, I've had that conversation before, although very few sellers do 4%, unless they're extremely high priced or they're commercial, usually on a relatively, you know, middle of the road, you know, three to 700k deal. Most people I would say are usually doing five or 6%. So that's, that's my yeah.
1: I I recently had a situation with a seller. I represented him uh, last year in the purchase of his home. It's a second home that he has here. Mm -hmm. And when Went to go list it this year. He's like, you know, I don't, I don't want to pay more than four percent. And I told him you're overpricing it by two hundred thousand dollars, and you're offering less of a commission. That just looks horrific. And I and I was honest with him. I said I'm not going to take the listing. And there has to come a point where you stand your ground, and you don't want to waste your time or the client's time. So it's like I know that if it's overpriced by that amount when you purchased it a year ago, and you're offering that kind of a commission. We're going to get into a, a, it's going to, a month is going to go by two months, three months. We're going to have to lower the price. We're going to have to fix the commission a little bit. You're going to, it looks bad, you know, and yeah. buyers start to question when you lower the price too many times, or when commission starts to fluctuate, they question the transaction. The buyer's yeah. going to be like, well, so now I'm going to get an even lower offer because he's going to be like, well, they're, they're not serious. Or, or, you know, I can, I can manipulate that situation. Let me offer him less. Right. And that can actually really affect the amount that you could sell your property
0: for 100%. Yeah, that's, that's super accurate. And, and now now even more so people need to price correctly. So much more than, you know, in the COVID market they threw the most random ridiculous prices and they and they stuck. We're not mm-hmm. in that market anymore and it's very very important. And that's why I implore agents right now to hit for sale by owners to if you're calling, speak to people who are selling by owner because This is a great market for it. It really is. In the height of the COVID market, people selling by owner, I mean, I hate. it is what it is. Not that I hate to say it. If people can do it, I'm happy for them. There's plenty of business to go around. What I mean by that is in a a hot seller's market, people selling by owner can get the job done. Whether they get the best result, that's a different story, but they can get the property sold fairly easily.
1: Well, it's it's been proven and there's statistics that I think 80% of our sale by owners will not sell the property for the maximum value. That's correct,
0: that's correct. No, but what I'm saying is like to reiterate, they can still get it done, the question is- They can do it, it sure.
1: Roughly, the reality is anybody can sell anything in any market. Now, are you gonna get the best value for what you're selling? That's the end result, you know? 100%. And having a realtor that represents you properly, effectively, who's been experienced, has the knowledge? That's what's going to make the difference for you.
0: Hundred percent. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. very true. So, so okay. Talking about NAR and, and we've covered a lot of ground. What are you? What are you? You know, experiencing in this market in much more of a buyer's market now with the economy being the way it is, with all these wars going on, with all this uncertainty. What do you feel has changed in the last, say, six months? you know, and just kind of being honest and, and giving me an idea of like what you've been experiencing.
1: So I have a variety of buyers that I have mm-hmm. basically had on hold for a year or more. Um, last year, I represented a lot of sellers. My buyers were hesitant, you know, because the interest rates were trickling up a bit. Inventory had dwindled. A lot of buyers think that their dream property just hasn't popped up on the market. Right. And they have unrealistic expectations about what the home should be. It's not. Good. I had a client that wouldn't buy a house because the floors were not the way that he wanted them. Even though everything else was perfect, the house was in the perfect location and had a lot of good things about it. He was so hyper-focused on something cosmetic and he wouldn't move forward. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, the prices are inflated. And I said, yeah, but the interest rates are still low. So it's a trade-off. Interest rates are lower, prices are higher. Now the interest rates are higher and the prices haven't really gone down. Because there is still a demand within reason of what the property should sell for. And that demand depends, it's different in different areas. I live in Midtown, for example. I live in a building that has very low inventory. Out of 400 units, there's only six or seven for sale. What is that? And every time that one sell, when, whenever one hits the market and it's listed properly, it sells within a week or two still, mm-hmm. as long as you're pricing it right. Because that's what you have to question also as a buyer. If you've been sitting on the market, is the seller unrealistic? Is there a problem with the property? What's going on? Those are things that you really have to focus on. So I've I've had some sellers this year and I've been working, like I said, with a lot of buyers. My buyers are hesitating at the moment. They're like in a holding pattern because of the interest rates. What? Listen, when there were 6%, they were complaining. So at 8%, you know they're going to complain again. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't mean when they were at 5%, they were complaining.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, they're like, Oh, the prices are going to come down. Right. Nobody has a crystal ball. No realtor. No, nobody is going to tell you the prices are going to come down. Bro, they said and there was going to be a uh, crash
0: so long ago. Everybody was projecting. That, and
1: that crash, they, they don't want that crash to happen. That right. really, really affects the market and the economy. So yeah. they're going to try everything possible not to let that happen. What, what, what I think is terrible is that the Fed basically lower those interest rates to stimulate the market and you lowered them so dramatically, you created this frenzy. And then out of nowhere, you're like, Oh, it's too chaotic. Let me raise it 5%. You went two completely opposite directions. And if it would have stayed in that 4%, which four to 5% was that sweet spot. That's kind of where it was at. I think if it would have remained that way, we still would have been in a good market. It would have been a little bit even for both, but they really created this chaos that it's really not benefiting anybody. Um, so a lot of buyers are waiting for either the interest rates to come down or they're waiting for the prices to come down. Mm-hmm. Now, the prices I've seen them stabilize. They're not, you know, inflated as much. But again, it depends on the market. I've seen condos in my building, the same condo, the same finishes, same everything on different floors. One is selling for seven fifty, the other one sells for six eighty. The other one sells for seven twenty-five. They're a few floors apart. How do you justify a seventy thousand dollars difference, and then a twenty-five thousand? And it's about who's willing to pay that. Yeah. But it's still, it's still about the inventory. When there's still a lack of inventory, and somebody really wants the property, they're gonna move forward.
0: Yep.
1: And, you, and you're gonna be left like, man, like it, it even shocks us, right? As says we're like, we can't depict this market. Like, how do we pinpoint what's actually happening? Like what do I tell my client? Um, so what I tell my clients right now, my buyer specifically is, listen, if you really want something right now and there's no guarantee that something better is going to come on the market and it's something that you like, that you want, try to at least play ball. Send these people an offer. Try to get under contract. If it doesn't appraise, maybe you can negotiate the appraisal. Maybe you can negotiate the inspections because that's what you can do right now. You can negotiate appraisals, inspections. There's a lot of terms that you have control over as a buyer right now that you didn't have. You didn't have a year or two ago. And then I would say refinance. Yes, your payment is gonna be maybe six to $700 more. That's not gonna stay like that forever. And let's say in six to 12 months, which it's predicted and it's gonna happen. And I can't see this not happening. Those interest rates are going to come down probably somewhere in the fives, whether it's high fives, mid fives, between 8% and five and something and change, you're going to save six or $700. Just refinance when that time comes. You're going to pay closing costs for refinancing, but it's going to be a small amount for the big picture that you're going to save. And that's what I'm telling clients right now. I have a client right now that's, you know, really torn about, oh, what's going to, and, and he's always focused on all of these outside issues but never narrowing down on the on the what's at hand, right? And that's what I notice. A lot of people, I have clients that send me articles. You know, Daniel, look at this and look at and I go. If you're always going to focus on the noise, you're never going to succeed. You're ne- the media is always going to portray things as something drastic and dr- because that's what sells.
0: Hundred percent. The the truth is to make this simple, and I understand that. Here's the thing: so when I look at a buyer and the buyer is putting eight percent down. I understand. I understand that it's not an easy thing to do, especially because they were seeing, you know, two point seven percent rates, three percent wow. rates, three and a half percent rates. Amazing. Then, then they still had to fight tooth and nail to get a property. They had to put in, you know, three, four offers on different properties to get accepted. They had lines out the door. Uh, but at least, you know, in that market, they had low rates. There's always going to be a plus, the pro and a con to a high rate market, right? Now you have less competition as a buyer at the same time. It really comes down to motivation. So just to expound on what you're saying, if Bill wants to buy a house, we find him a house he likes. He has the finances to move forward, say, at 20% conventional. He's able to do it. And it's not, you know, maybe it's a, nice, it's a nice chunk of money for him. It's not something that's, you know, pocket change, but he can do the deal. He's got the money, he's got the financing, he's good to go. If he doesn't move forward with it, like he wants to, and just assumes that things will go better, better down the road. I'm, like I said, you pretty much said this, but I'm just expounding. And now we wait and say the rate comes down, but the house is no longer available, or maybe something happens and he can no longer afford it. Then he's gonna say, shit, I should have done it. And I should have I refinanced later. Or, he could, also, or, or he could also get there. There's also seller financing, which is being offered a lot now.
1: Sure. So- Because but also, also Rafi, what if there is a bidding war now? Right. in the future for the same home and it's right. you competing against two other people do you really want that again you, you know so 100%. there's like you said there's pros and cons but you and and people ask me you know when is the right time to buy and i get this all the time the right time to buy is when you're ready to buy
0: it is that's the truth yep. it, it's it not is.
1: about the eight percent and it's not about the prices are you 100%. capable right now and are you willing right now
0: 100 it just it has to it has to make sense If it makes sense, do it. There's always the reality of buying or selling real estate is there's always going to be a thought unless you just get an amazing deal, unless you sell for 200K over appraised value or you manage to buy from some old person who didn't realize and you bought it enormously under uh, market value. Okay, then there's no thought in the world that you made a bad decision. It's like, okay, well, I got a great deal. But if you're buying something relatively at asking, at asking, a bit above asking, or you're doing the same on the sell side, there might be a thought of, hmm, maybe I could have gotten a buyer to pay more. Hmm, maybe I could have uh, paid a little less for another property. There's always going to be a what if if you sit there and, and dwell on it. But if you're looking at the bigger picture, now is still a great time to buy, so long as you understand why you're buying. You have to really have to understand it. Once you get to the, once you can look at your finances. Talk to whoever you need to, whether that's your husband or wife, sister, brother, and decide what's causing you to want to buy or sell. It's always, in my opinion, it's always a great market to do it. Yeah, that is my take. That it. is my mm-hmm. take. Uh, wh- what other what other things would you would you want to add? Um, maybe some advice, some some things that maybe newer realtors or realtors who are having a tough time could could. Uh, I
1: think I think uh, having conversations with mortgage brokers understanding different programs for different people. There's a lot of people that qualify for different things. There's first-time homebuyer programs, there's investor programs, there's foreign national programs, how much you have to put down, having having that information solidified where uh, you can relay that to the client where they feel you know that they have options. Um, a lot of people, for example, for condos, like mine where I live, you can actually put 5% down as a primary. A lot of people have the, the perception that To buy a condo and live in it, you have to put 20% down. Mm -hmm. And it deters them from moving forward. They're like, well, 20% down, closing costs, I don't want to move forward. But if I tell you that the budget, which is something that a lot of agents need to study, litigations in buildings, when you're selling condos, you got to make sure that there's not a litigation, that there's no assessments, um, that the building is in good standing. If they're older, that they've done the 40-year recertification, uh, that these things are in place so that you protect your client and you look more credible. Um, a lot of agents don't take that extra step. There's been a lot of times that I've gotten properties under contract and they're the agent doesn't know anything. So you you can't assume that somebody else is has the information that you want to obtain. So, in my opinion, I always take that initial step. I call the associations, I, I get all the information. I want to know the HOA fees. I want to know what's included. I want to know if there's a litigation. I want to know if there's an assessment. Is something pending? Is something coming? And in turn, I relay that to my client so that you know that this is a solid building to purchase it. Because there's a lot of deals and this has happened to me before Rafi where I have been under contract and we're one week away from closing and there was a litigation that we were not aware of.
0: Dude, this That's literally happened. happened to me. This just happened to me. This just happened to me. I was representing the seller deal in South Beach. The uh, we had a, It was a very short listing period. It was a long story. Not an easy situation. Got the buyer 5% down. I was reluctant to do it but I had such a short listing.
1: Sure, We went
0: through, building had litigations, all these issues. The uh, We had another offer for 15% from another, another buyer's agent. The other buyer's agent got the deal. His deal fell through as well. So it's a non-warrantable condo. We found out afterward, when we were already under contract, we were close to closing, deal died. So what you're saying is spot on. If you do, if you are a listing agent or you were a buyer's agent and you have a buyer, that wants a condo and they don't have much to put down, you need to do your due diligence on that building and you need to make sure that your lender's on board so you don't end up wasting you know, anyone's time. It's super important.
1: The easiest thing to also do, Rafi, uh, and I've encountered this with my mortgage broker, you should see if they're on the Fannie Mae or the Freddie Mac do not loan list up front because there's a list that's, that's it, it, this thing rolls out, I think, weekly. Mm-hmm. And if, if the pro- you just have to give them the property address if the address is on that list, you already know that you cannot fund there. And usually the only reasons that lenders don't fund in buildings like that, it's typically a structural litigation. It's not litigation against a tenant that lives there that's Airbnb or, you know, doing certain things. It has to be something serious where the lender says, this could cause an issue in the future. And that's pretty much always structural. You know, this stems for homes as well homes that are not structurally sound when you're doing a conventional loan could deter you from moving forward so you want to make sure and a lot of these sellers are not going to give you that information that's why you have a title company that does lien searches they check for violations yep, you got to yep. make sure that those things are ta- uh you know intact then when you do an inspection that's your time that inspection time is for you to do whatever you need to do to be able to move forward on the property you want to do like for example i have a client purchased the property. And he asked me, Daniel, should I have the septic tank inspected? Because the seller gave us a uh, seller's disclosure. And when the question was asked about the septic tank, it said that he didn't have any knowledge that it wasn't operating, you know, functionally. I told my client, I said, listen, you should do whatever you feel comfortable with, because there's one thing for you to tell them to do something and then they don't do it. They blame you for it. So it's like, you know what, if it's a $500 uh, inspection, So he said, I want to make sure that the property appraises before I even do that. But the reality is that your due diligence period was only within that inspection period. If your inspection period is only 10 days, that's when you do it or you have to do an extension within that period to be able to do this in the future. The property ended up not appraising by $30,000. He got it $25,000 less, but never inspected the septic tech assuming that everything was fine. And usually 99% of the time, that's not an issue. Tells, he comes to tell me a few months afterwards that he had the septic tank inspected and there was a hole in the septic tank. And instead of going into the draining field, it was going somewhere else. So the septic tank actually had to be replaced and he ended up having to pay $8,000 out of pocket. You cannot finance that uh, to have the septic tank redone, basically, to get a new one. Wow. Wow.
0: Just because you didn't want to so, do it. at due diligence. So, to. So,
1: these, so these are issues. So then what I do is that now that's information that I take to my next client when there's a septic tank. And I say, hey, I ran into this situation before. Not for you to be scared, but just so that you're aware. Do you want to have the septic tank inspected or no? You give them the option because you look like the bigger person that's being transparent with these people. And you can't be scared that they're going to walk away because the more information you give them, the better it really is for the client. And that's what we're doing as agents. We're representing them, you know, effectively.
0: I completely agree.
1: No, it's phenomenal, phenomenal advice. That's why at the end of the day, you have
0: to do the deals. You have to do the deals. That's why so many people leave this business because they don't understand that these deals, when they fall through or things go wrong, these are the stepping stones to turning you into an amazing agent. You have to go through these, these challenges to know what to do in the next deal. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I resonate with that so much, man, because I, I think about my last deal in South Beach that I had. And mm-hmm. if I had known all these things, I could have avoided all that time. I could have made sure to find another agent. There's a lot, uh, another buyer, another uh,
1: different offer. There's so much that I, that I learned from that one deal. Because, so, because also think about the buyer's perspective, which is what I think about it's a very emotional process for buyers, especially if you're not an investor. If you're an end user and you go through this period of 30 days and you don't get the property that you wanted, it might deter you from wanting to start all over again. You might say, you know what, I'm just going to keep renting. You don't know what they're thinking because the the emotional aspect kind of like it's a a roller coaster for them. So you don't get to the closing table and they're like, man, now we got to start all over again. And and in the back of their head, they're gonna remember that. Is that gonna deter them from moving forward? Are they gonna be a little pickier? Will things change? You never know. So my thought process is always you close when you have to close. And that was when it needed to happen. Because you never know when the next property is gonna come about, what's gonna be wrong with it, if it's gonna be the perfect one for you. You have no idea.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, well. Danny, we're gonna wrap this up here. I hope it. Uh, I hope everybody who listened to this got some great value. Whether you're a realtor, a potential client, an investor, whatever the case may be, we hope you got tons of value from this. Uh, definitely look into, you know, either you can look at the NAR lawsuit if you're curious to hear more about it. As always, make sure to subscribe, like, and share. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. Make sure to check out Rafi the Realtor on Instagram as well as Danny Horowitz on Instagram and I look forward to you joining us for the next episode have a good one peace Thank you guys